Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. For those of you scoring at home, the latest All-American honor for Andre Schmidt was the American... Football Coaches Association, not the American Football Coaches of America, right? Nice one, son. You'll be an all-star. That's yet. the five D's Just of dodgeball. Just remember the five D's of dodgeball: dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Dodge. Seth, to his credit, there's a, actually a better line from dodgeball. Right? Is it the American Dodgeball Association of America? The All-American list, I knew all of them but one on the Syracuse All-American list that he You had. didn't know Roger Davis, probably? <laughs> yeah. Did not know that one. Yeah. Lineman, 60s. Uh, pretty good list there, though. You forget how J- good Geds was. You know? Well, absolutely. You know, and to, and here's the thing, and, and this is going to sound like it's a slight to uh, – Andre Schmidt, it's not. It's just a distinction. He is in a statistically oriented position. Mm-hmm. He kicks the same football in more or less the same – he actually has better conditions, but more or less the same yardages. and all. You, you could say, well, somebody who made 28 field goals in a year is better than somebody who made or at least was more productive this year than somebody that made 16 field goals. He made the most field goals. He scored the most points with his foot. Um it's easier for that to come to a consensus, okay? When Chris Gedney was All-American tight end, and I don't know off the top of my head who else might have been in that mix, it might have been a little harder to quantify, particularly that position where the, the guy who leads the nation in tight end receptions might have 40 or 35. Um, Don McPherson, <laughs> unanimous All-American quarterback. I mean, that to be... Clearly the best quarterback in the country. Um, those are significant distinctions. Tim Green, Larry Zonka, you know, s- certainly the running back history here is uh, very deep and, and uh, star-studded. I think what you're seeing with Andre Schmidt and Andre Sisko, and again, this is not to discredit it, it just is to explain why they've been consistently named. They've excelled, and they've excelled in a very obvious way. When a guy has seven interceptions, how are you leaving him off these teams? When a guy leads the world in field goals made, how are you leaving him off? And it's not like he's 28 for 40. He's 28 for 32. Uh, so that, that's, that's how it's happening. The, when we talked about the All-American team, or All-ACC uh, teams, rather, and why didn't this guy make it in that? Well, at positions like defensive tackle that Chris Slayton plays, Chris Slayton has no stats. He's a great player. But you have to really watch and know what you're looking at and know what you're talking about to evaluate him versus other players. Defensive tackle, I'd imagine, over the years is not a position where there are a lot of necessarily unanimous whatever unless somebody is so far ahead in the hype. The Clemson guys will have consensus and unanimous selections because 
everybody knows, and it's so apparent and so talked about that Ed Oliver at, at Houston, everybody knows, is the best defensive tackle or one of them in the in the country. So those guys are, are candidates. But in a lot of years, linebacker, a lot of linebackers make a lot of tackles. Um, so they're not as likely to be uh, unanimous picks. Um, got a bunch. This is like the taco salad show here. We got a bunch of like leftovers. We're just going to kind of mix it up and you know throw some things back in there. Maybe hit it with a little dressing or salsa and kind of hopefully it uh, coalesces into something uh, palatable today. And if it doesn't, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Um, <laughs> I'm still getting paid. <laughs> I like that attitude. No, I, I don't really mean that, but but uh, it is true. But anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to have Adam Terry on. I uh, wasn't sure if we were going to uh, have a spot for him on next week's show, and we got to make sure that we get him in before the bowl game. Uh, I'm going to do the counterpart show in uh, West Virginia tonight. Maybe they're finally coming around to the fact that they got to start cheering up and getting ready for this yeah. bowl. But uh, certainly that's been a lot of talk about Will Greer sitting out, about West Virginia's disappointment to be in the game. And for us, that's just a, a side story, but uh, something for us to get into. And really with Adam, I'd be more curious as to what he thinks the impact of a bowl like this is on the program, how you split your time on a trip like this. Remember, Adam was on the team the last time the Orange played in this bowl. Different name. Uh, at the time, it was the Champs Sports Bowl. They went down and uh, got rolled by a, a good uh, Georgia Tech team. But how did that go? You know, Coach Pasqualoni, a different uh, type of approach. How did they deal with it? And I uh, want to get Adam's insights on that. But one thing we've been holding off, and uh, it, I will be transparent. This is going to give me a, a chance to pop up a friend of mine. He's also a friend of Adam's, come to think of it. But this uh, end of... A lot of times on Monday we'll go over the highlights of what happened Sunday around the NFL. We didn't get to this, and we had other things uh, the last couple of days on the show. But I want you to hear the diametrically opposed radio calls of that crazy final play at the end of the Dolphins-Patriots game. And the one that's played most often, because I think there must be some people who do like this. I'm not one of them. But some people who do... Uh, prefer to hear this kind of uh, bluster and fanboyism and lack of description. But this is the Miami Dolphins radio call of their miraculous game-ending play as heard by uh, former Dolphin Jimmy Cephalo at the play-by-play mic. New England's got Gronkowski down here. Yeah, Gronkowski uh, standing at about the 15-yard line. He can tackle anybody. I don't know why he's I, back there. I think, well, I know why. Knock they it throw down. it up. They throw it up in the air. He knocked That's it down. It. That's exactly why. Tannehill, last shot, back to throw. They throw it down. They try to pitch it, and they do. To Parker. Parker pitches it. And it's great. Great. 30, 20, Gronkowski's got a tackle. Oh, no no way. way. He no got way. in the end no What the hell? The Dolphins win it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Are you kidding oh. me? Oh. That is unbelievable. I don't believe what I just saw. So that's Bob Greasy uh, chiming in with the Jack Buck line, I don't believe what I just saw. And uh, just generally three people going from – tired and or drunk to exuberant in a matter of moments. So there's a certain appeal on that, but 
if you had any idea like where the ball is or if that was important to you uh, in any way, then you were out. You were lost on that one. The the other thing is they missed out on. They were very prophetic in knowing that Gronkowski yes. can't tackle anybody, and he completely took a bad angle and tripped over his own feet. Where as you're describing that, it's down to Gronkowski. He missed the tackle. Touchdown. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they got to that <laughs> at that point. They were so giddy about uh, uh, the Dolphins' uh, chance to win. They were blinded by it. It's rare that the radio play-by-play guy is that. Well, it's rare Crazy. that they're, it's rare as a former player, yeah. first of all. Uh, Jimmy Cephalo is one of only a couple. There's three that I can think of in the NFL that are former NFL players, and he's beloved there, and, and God bless him for that, but um, probably not the strongest play-by-play man. But a very strong play-by-play man is uh, actually an Auburn, New York native and a friend of mine named Bob Sosi, who has done the Patriots games for a number of years, including uh, a handful of Super Bowls, and... Uh, Bob handled that same play this way. What he sees in front of him, a field of defensive backs, and a hawking tight end who stands at the 15-yard line. Tannehill throws down the middle, caught by Stills, laterals back to Butler, or rather Parker, who flips it to Drake. He runs across the 40 of New England, angling inside oh, to the 30, 25, 20, 15, Teddy's going to win the full race to the end zone! The Dolphins are going to win it! On the lateral! Once, then twice! And Drake takes it in! And the Patriots stand stunned in disbelief! So a different perspective there. Uh, that's a really hard play to actually get everything on. And, and Bob didn't mention uh, Gronkowski either. And in fact, uh, stumbled on uh, one of the player identifications there. But that's really hard yeah. when uh, the field is scattered like that. And, and uh, you have different personnel in the game. And it could be a lot of different people lateraling. But uh, Joe Thomas... The uh, longtime Cleveland Indians left tackle was on, uh, I believe, with Golik and Wingo yesterday addressing a play like this. We want to ask Adam Terry about that when we come up. In fact, that's uh, the reason we wanted to play that before the break. We'll have Adam on here for a few minutes next, get his thoughts on uh, what it's like when a game comes down to a play like that. It so rarely works, and uh, we'll find out if Adam has ever been a part of anything like that. We'll chime in with him in just a moment in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance, in your corner. Back of the show, In the Booth, brought to you by CH Insurance. Back tomorrow with Mike Waters in this spot at 2.15 to talk Syracuse basketball. The uh, Old Dominion team, boy, on paper, they look pretty good. They've won five in a row. they got a couple of seven-footers. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country, and we can uh, get into that in uh, due time, certainly with Mike, if not before. Adam Terry is with us. Adam's been a Wednesday regular for us, and uh, don't want to overuse your time here, Adam, but I uh, thought we'd chime in on a couple of things with the bowl. Now uh, two weeks out, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very, very well, just trying to corral all the family up in order to get them down to Orlando. Yeah, well, that's actually something we'll probably have to cover at some point is your whole Disney strategy. I'm sure you've got that well thought out. And if you don't, uh, the stories afterwards will be good. It, that That is for sure. I left it up to my wife, and uh, she's doing a great job thus far, and I can't complain regardless of how it turns out because uh, she put it on her plate and she's taking care of it. I love it. Like your uh, Thanksgiving dinner, same strategy. Hey, uh, before we get into Syracuse stuff, I I said to the audience that we would uh, tap you on these end-of-game, you know, hook-and-lateral type plays 
Have you ever? Usually, guys, your your size are taken off the field for those. But have you ever been on the field for one of those? And have you ever had to touch the ball? I have never been on the field for one of those. I have seen a hail mary work. I saw David Garrard throw a deep bomb to to Mike Williams, not the Mike Williams that everybody, you know, not the USC Mike Williams, but the Mike Williams that came out of Arizona. And uh, it was a deep ball. It was tipped. Uh, we were all walking into the tunnel for a loss, and uh, we all had to kind of turn back around because nobody really thought it would occur. So that is the closest to the end-of-game heroics that I've ever been uh, close to. But to watch some of these, you do it in practice, you know, on a, on a Friday or a Saturday. You do it just because you're like, okay, well, if we get the opportunity, which offensive lineman can get their hands on the ball and get downfield? And uh, usually the ball ends up getting turned over. The defense scoops it up and scores for a touchdown. But in this case, you know, the Miami-New England game, and they get it in the hands of a running back. So hopefully he can beat Gronkowski and, and score. But uh, it, it was very interesting to watch that in the highlight. Well, I heard uh, Joe Thomas, your longtime uh, Cleveland Browns counterpart, uh, kind of say that the other day. He goes, the only reason he was on the field is he had that long streak of consecutive snaps. They didn't want to bust it for that, but his whole mission <laughs> was to uh, ideally not touch the ball because it's usually uh, you know running backs and wide receivers throwing those laterals to one another. Well, it would be interesting to see if they actually did a wholesale change and put wide receivers in as offensive linemen. That would be a little bit more interesting. Yes, they would have to kind of declare themselves as down linemen, but once the ball is free, the ball is free. Right. Well, yeah, I guess at that point, could, if you have a number in the 80s, regardless of where you lined up, you can touch the ball, right? I would, oh. I, I guess. So, uh, all right, we'll cover that uh, another time. Well, I don't know if we've discussed this yet, uh, had you on since Will Greer, Adam decided to uh, pull out of the game. So they've got a top offensive lineman and the quarterback at West Virginia sitting this one out. Does that uh, take the shine off this at all for you? Well, I, I just don't understand it. You know, uh, when I came through, I, I had the opportunity to go play in the East-West Shrine or the Senior Bowl. And in, in a situation like that, you take out a, an insurance policy, primarily Lloyd's of London. They do it. They cover you in case your draft stock drops. But it's one there. You're saying you're getting prepared for the NFL. Well, if you're an offensive lineman, you've got to go against Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson. What better place to get ready for the NFL? And if you're the quarterback... You're, you've also got a situation where you're, gonna, you're going against one of the top five third-down teams in the country. So the, the logic behind it, I understand they don't want to get hurt. Say you don't want to get hurt. Don't say you're getting prepared for the NFL because this is a scenario where it's a top-20 team that you have to go and play against. So, you know, I, I struggle a little bit with that because, you know, it, my day, no, not really, <laughs> but, you know, if, up till a couple of years ago, this was unheard of. And I agree with you on that aspect. Stop with the, I'm going to turn my time toward or prepare for. I mean, preparing for the bowl game is, I understand, yes, there's ways that people prepare specifically for the combine or kind of trick the system those ways. No, it's they don't want to get hurt. And I don't necessarily fault them for saying that, but let's uh, understand but, uh, what it really is. Yeah, in, in, in watching that, you know, and getting ready for the combine, it's basically what? It's a pajama party. These guys are already entrenched as higher-level prospects. So, you know, the way that the draft is now, you're looking at it, 
it's slotted. So if, are you trying to move up two slots? Are you trying to move up 10 slots? You know, what are you really trying to accomplish? And also, what does it do for your teammates that are trying to work their way up from, a say, a fifth-round grade to a third-round grade? You know, so I think when you're looking at the whole draft scenario and having the opportunity to go last year to the NFL draft and work with the Daniel Jeremiah and those guys, like, this is taken into consideration by a lot of the officials, and it's something that, uh, you know, kind of gets thrown in there. You know, what type of guy is he? Is he a me guy now? So not only does it go into, yeah, I'm getting ready for the combine, but it's also a couple years ago this was unheard of. Now some of the GMs are going, well, what kind of guy is he really? You know, he could have helped out that seventh rounder to be a fourth rounder by throwing him three touchdowns in an all-star game against a good corner or your tackle raising his stock by going against the best tandem in the ACC conferences is the, the outside rushers. So I, I, I struggle a little bit with it. I get it. Call it what it is. I'm not trying to get hurt. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit disheartening, but I understand it. Yeah, Adam Terry, our guest. And for the record, uh, Doug Gottlieb of, of CBS came out today, too, and with a tweet that got a lot of reaction saying, you know, when was the last quarterback hurt? Well, quarterbacks do get hurt. Uh, Clayton Thorson of Northwestern uh, last year was the most notable example of a quarterback that got hurt in a bowl game. But Wilger's probably not going to get hurt in this bowl game, let's be honest. Uh, you know, the only way would be against the uh, Syracuse pass rush, but the rules and, and uh, the offensive line are there to protect the quarterback, it's still he doesn't want to uh, to take the chance, and and he's a guy who's got a significant body of work. I don't know that it'll impact, other than as you say, it'll it'll raise the question of is he a team guy. I don't know that it'll have a huge impact on his draft. Um, impact of the bowl, Adam, from a, a program building standpoint. We're about to uh, see another recruiting class discussed next week with the early signing period coming to a close and, and announced on Wednesday. You have talked about your recruitment and your time coming here. Syracuse was going to a lot of bowls at that time. Is that how you measure one program against the next, and how do you view uh, the bounce that the Syracuse football program can get out of going to a bowl like this? Well, you look at what Dino has done over the past few years, and he's been able to sell a program in upstate New York that's going to get the most snowfall in the country. Yes, you're playing inside the Dome. But it's also, you had to take his word. And now that they're actually out on the recruiting trail, going able to, being able to go down and, and play in front of some of these, uh, you know, it's not South Florida, but these Florida teams where you're going in front, into Orlando and you're going in front of Freedom High School, you're going against Dr. Phillips, which had Rodney Wells, which we talked about against the NC State game because he had two players that were playing for NC State. So now do those Orlando guys start to migrate a little bit further north because of just that exposure? Uh, and on the recruiting trail, it allows the coaches to be down there for a few days to, to hop out a little bit early and maybe take a three-hour drive down to uh, Miami, You know, go down to Dade County, go up to Duval County, and really just start to spread their wings uh, to what Syracuse was able to do they weren't getting A, A-list guys, but they were getting quality B-list guys that now go to UCF or now go to uh, Florida Atlantic. So uh, it's great for Syracuse to play down into Florida, but it's also great on the back end for Syracuse as a team to get the 15 practices in. Adam Terry with us just for another minute or so. And Adam, uh, you played in this exact bowl, just a different name, 
when the Orange were in it in uh, 2001. And I don't know if it's different now based on where the program is or with a different coach, but how do you balance preparation once you get down there? I mean, they're traveling on Christmas Eve. How do you balance that versus enjoying some time in the sun versus Disney versus the game versus the hospital visits and and all the things that are involved in a bowl trip? Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty well structured. It's it's a scenario where you have to give the guys enough free reign that they're going to have fun and they want to aspire to do this every single year. Um, plus, also say, hey, Orlando's nice, but what if we went to some of these other bowls? Um, so that'll be one thing. And then it's all the other part of it being, you know, going to a, a Shriners Hospital or going to a um, – you know, respite center in order that kids are being dropped off because they're terminally ill and, and people need, parents need time away. So that, it also puts everything into perspective. So going down to the bowl games, one fantastic thing. And I don't know if they're, we went to Universal Studios the day after the game. So it was kind of a little anticlimactic. Also watching our coaches, they kind of had the word that they were on the outs. So that was a tough one to see. But for these guys, it's, hey, you know, you're going out on a bang. You've helped build this program as a senior. And now everybody gets to see the fruits of the labor. And really, this is kind of that turning point for a program to say, if you don't make a bowl game, then, you know, it wasn't, a success, it wasn't as successful as a year as you necessarily thought. Okay, looking forward to uh, seeing how it shakes out. Hopefully we have time to catch up next week a little bit on the game itself as we can uh, X and O this thing a little bit. Uh, should be a fun one, uh, even without uh, the West Virginia starting quarterback there. And a uh, good matchup. Uh, I know the rivalry uh, plays a part into it for uh, players and, and fans of a certain age. So uh, good stuff, and uh, we'll continue that countdown toward it. Adam, we appreciate the time. Safe travels. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Pleasure. See you down there. Adam Terry, our Syracuse IMG Sports Network game analyst. Adam's traveling uh, separately, taking the whole clan down. He's going the whole Clark W. Griswold route. I asked if I could go with him. <laughs> you could be another <laughs> yeah. of the Terry children? I was too sm- too small to even be one of his kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Wouldn't work. I think his kid would probably dwarf you. You have to be as tall as the kid to get on the rides. But... Uh, can't wait to hear Adam's stories after the fact about how he mixed in his uh, his own football uh, game prep and trips to Space Mountain and whatever the uh, the Terry clan is doing. Back with Do We Care For You here in just a moment. Wrap the show with a little look ahead to uh, the Old Dominion basketball game, which is in the Dome, on Saturday, too. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Ohio State University has a bacon vending machine that sells bacon slices for a dollar. Would you eat bacon out of a vending machine? I'd eat bacon in almost every possible situation. Uh, This one, I don't really know. And how is it? Is it different than your Slim Jim category, your beef jerky? Uh, It's obviously not fresh bacon. It's not cooked bacon strips, bacon bits, and other meat products. Yeah, I don't like the word products when they when when something says like on the label this they is look like che- they're in ba- like, this is cheese food we- or this is a cheese product. When Wegman sells pre cooked bacon bacon too, and I don't think I'm a big fan of that. I'm not if I'm going to have bacon, I'm cooking it myself. That's a big sponsor there, Sugardale. They they sponsored the night that we were just out there. Um, I like the attempt. 
Uh, you know what I thought this was going to be when you first put it down was one of these deals where it's finals on college campuses and they bring in puppies, you know, for stress relief. Just to show up with a bunch of bacon, I think, uh, lightens people's moods. But The um, machine is so popular, it has to be restocked four to five times a day. Okay. People are just lining up for bacon. Proceeds benefit the university's meat science program. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a program. My meat science program is a whole different thing. Yes. <laughs> and you got people studying it around, around the clock. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I want better bacon than that, but but any bacon's good bacon. I mean, if I had a dollar, but the thing is now Farm here I am. In down, I'm in downtown Syracuse right now. I have a, a couple dollars in my back pocket. What I'd would be my it. fastest way to go get bacon right now? You know, if you really wanted bacon, one time I tried, and if it was good, yeah. I'd go back. But I think it's probably just it's just like beef jerky out of a bag. Same same type of thing. Yuck. A Vikings fan is making his frustrations clear with a team by putting the stadium on Craigslist. People have too much time on their hands. For sale, lately used stadium occupant has been a team that's only success is breaking the hearts of its fans. A long history of collecting talent with no ideas how to use them, including in the sale as an $84 million QB who can't win against teams with winning records and is 0-7 on Monday Night Football. All reasonable offers considered, and we've included a picture of this dumpster fire. <laughs> That's actually What's a funny, the picture? It's just a stadium. Oh, it's a beautiful stadium. Yes. Yeah, Looks I don't like know. A bank. I hate when people refer to. I understand that um, it's not working out with Kirk Cousins there so far. I hate the anytime somebody when things aren't going well for somebody, they got to bring the salary back in, as if. Somebody chose to pay him $84 million to intentionally not win games. Uh, that's not how it works. Uh, NBC has come out with the most handsome managers in Major League Baseball. And Brad Osmus of spend the Angels a lot of time in the sun. is uh, number one on the list, followed by Gabe Kapler. I thought Gabe Kapler would have... Uh, yeah, but he's got a very uh, Brad Osmus wasn't a manager this past year, so didn't have quite Gabe the same Kapler, buzz. Alex Cora coming in at third. I think it goes downhill. I mean, we'd have to have Rocco a woman's Baldelli. opinion on this, but I think it it goes. Uh, Aaron Boone. This is a top heavy list, right? <laughs> the first couple guys I think are legitimately really good looking guys. Yeah, AJ Hinch is not a handsome. After man. that, it's I mean, but Black is in the top ten. <laughs> Tori Lavello, you know what his claim to fame? There's Kevin Cash, former chief. Uh, Mickey Calloway wraps up the top 10. Dave Robertson in 11th. Vista native. Andy Green of the Padres. Craig Craig Council's 13. He is one of the ugliest (laughs) men. Who's last? Go to to the bottom. Yeah, how do you you get this list? Terry Francona. You're going to get your balls busted, right? If you're the the ugliest manager in baseball. Yeah. Charlie Manuel is last. Too far. You can't have more than one article on a page. Well, you're really. You can't do this. No, to me. I understand what you're doing there. Yeah. Uh, Clint Hurdle is at 28, and the Blue Jays manager Charlie Montoya. Montoya. That's kind oh. of, <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible picture. Of, wow. His chin and his uh, neck are the same thing. That's uh, that's you can't. He, he wins. Can't. But he's going to get his balls busted by his players, of course, right? Of course. For being the ugliest manager. Yes. All right, and finally, Aquaman is the high. I'm not a big superhero movie guy, but Aquaman is the highest grossing movie in the world 
and it hasn't even been released in America yet. It was only released in yeah. China. I don't even know what that means. It's sold more tickets than any other movie in the world. No, I, it's I, not I, I literally know what it means, but I, I, I got no time. For whatever. Okay. I mean, is it? That's pretty impressive. It is, of course it is. But Chris, you're over in China. They yeah. do a lot of business yeah, in China. Yeah, they got a few people there. <laughs> yeah. Good for them. I don't think I'll be rushing out to see it. Staying on the handsome thing, the ladies love Aquaman. I don't even know who plays him. but Oh, man, do the ladies dig him. I wish I was I Aquaman. I wouldn't know. If I was Aquaman, I'd have a ton of girls. <laughs> I think of that list, though, um, the managers, I, th- you know, I think the ladies, ladies like Gabe Kapler and probably Brad Osmus, too. I don't think there's a lot more beyond that that are coveted it's gonna be a sitcom someday ladies love gabe (laughs) there you go there you go all right uh gabe kapler like doesn't he doesn't uh, i love gabe kaplan from welcome back cotter and gabe kapler has very strict dietary restraint he's a very tightly wound individual um doesn't see the one that eats the ice cream and spits it out or something there's no there's some crazy why don't you google that during the break some crazy thing that gabe kapler does but he's Won a lot of games last year, as it turned out, after a couple of I think Gabe Kaplan's very pu- public uh, missteps. And you're going to Gabe Kaplan, I get There you go. Back with the uh, ranking of most attractive NHL coaches after this. In the booth, ESPN. This is In the Booth, presented by CH Insurance. In your corner. Just spent the break there uh, thumbing through Twitter, as I uh, often do, and there's more on this uh, 30 for 30 on Bob Knight, which uh, I, I watched back-to-back 30 for 30s last night. The Bob Knight one ran uh, for it was at least the second time that I saw it, uh, although I haven't been able to kind of sit and watch it from beginning to end. I caught it uh, midstream, and I had seen much of it uh, from the night that it debuted. And then they ran the one on Buster Douglas, and then they ran the fight on Buster Douglas. So there was a lot of um, good TV last night, the the Boy, Douglas never had really seen that fight before. Uh, Fair and square took it to uh, Tyson, was the first guy to ever put him on the mat, and uh, one of the great upsets in sports history. But this thing with uh, Bob Knight is certainly an issue with somebody who's very vocal on Twitter, and and we run into from time to time Dan Dockich, and they're going back and forth, I think, the – the guy behind the story, this Robert Abbott, who's uh, the voice who narrates that uh, 30 for 30, and there's some dispute as to what went down when the choking occurred and how uh, accurate Neil Reed's accounts of things were and where were people that could have uh, intervened and and that type of thing. But uh, that's a, an interesting read on Twitter right now if, if you want to follow uh, Dan Dockich's uh, timeline, and he's kind of at this point said, look, I, uh, enough of discussing it. He wants to s- sort of move on. But one of the things at issue is Neil Reed claimed that when Bob Knight put his hands on him in practice, that then he recalls a number of people, Dan Dockage included, pulling Knight off of him. And there's no video to support that. Dockage claims that he you know, wasn't near enough to to jump in and separate people and that it was not a a long-lasting chokehold or anything like that. So uh, ugly era, certainly in uh, Indiana basketball history. It's uh, kind of a part of the epitaph of uh, Bob Knight in a way. 
and uh, interesting video last night. I love those uh, 30 for 30 pieces to go back and kind of look at stuff, uh, certainly from that uh, time frame, which wasn't that long ago, uh, where, you know, it's not ancient history by any stretch, but, and, and one of the reasons that's fun for me is you go back and you see people that pop up in those videos that, hey, I know that person, or I've, we've run into them since, or they've since become famous, or, or what have you. There's a lot of people that are actively involved in college basketball or uh, the media, uh, that type of thing that you do see in that uh, piece started getting uh, some work in on old dominion and this is a team i think that can play a bit they won a lot of games last year whiffed in their conference tournament at the end of the season and did not go uh, to the ncaa tournament in fact didn't go to the nit either but jeff jones their coach former virginia head coach has been successful uh in uh, not only there but elsewhere and uh they play defense they're fifth in the country in scoring defense. One of the reasons for that is like when we've seen Syracuse and they've played defense at their best, the tempo is slower. It's uh, harder to turn over the possessions. They've got this connection. Uh, Bryant Stith was a great player for Jeff Jones at Virginia. Stith's now an assistant coach. His two sons have played there. Uh, One moved on after last year, and now their best player is B.J. Stith, who transferred from Virginia to Old Dominion. He's coming off a game of 28 points and 14 rebounds as uh, Old Dominion beat Fairfield and has won five in a row. So this is a game where you know Syracuse will be favored, will look to and should remain unbeaten at home, but uh, this one's tough. Old Dominion picked not right at the top of, the, of Conference USA, but near it. And then Buffalo to follow. Buffalo is uh, Tuesday of next week. These are games not to be taken lightly headed uh, into the Christmas break. Amazing, Polly, that it's already here, Christmas. I mean, it feels like, oh, yeah, it's off in the distance. Today's December 12th. It still feels like, but no, a couple more days, and you're right there. We're all going to be crashing the mall and doing all the last-minute stuff, and, and I'll be pounding my hand against my forehead saying, why am I doing this every, every year? I Time just flies by, and then I'm left to. I always just hand people the the beef stick and the, no, the summer gi- sausage and the Wegmans has the gift card rack, and I'm that's there. your move. Yeah, movies. You know, I always say, everything. Yeah, right I've there. always said what I would do with that is I was going to do like Amazon, a, a like a one. deal or no deal version. Mm-hmm. You know, you go buy all different kinds of denominations, and then you could have a game show. Oh, that'd at be your fun. Christmas. You just let people blindly pick. Well, like, yeah, I mean, I'll you, take you, number five. Yeah, you might get five dollars at Dick's. You might get a hundred dollars at Best Buy. You might get. Uh, see, I wouldn't do that to my. I'd make it all the same, but they just have to blindly draw what they win. Because you don't want to give your brother a five dollar gift card, you know. Well, you could maybe spin again, you know, or you could trade it, or. <laughs> you got me in a Brian Stith. Uh, yeah, Vortex. Bryant Stith. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did he not play? He played against Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. Did they beat Syracuse in the NCAA tournament? Like 88, 90, uh, 90 would have been the Richmond Virginia, game? Yeah. Uh, I'm, Boy, that's actually a little older than I would have thought that he was. I wish I could I could probably get their schedule. but uh, Yes, you could. That doesn't ring a bell, but I appreciate your handcuffing me on the show, Polly. <laughs> It happened. Um, I know that he played but against. He could have, yeah. Am I thinking like a second round game in Richmond or something like that that vaguely rings a bell? Did they beat Syracuse? Is the 
the question. Oh, for God's sakes, I stink at my job. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you do. That's that's a fact. But I, that um, for right now is not ringing a bell for me. All right. Uh, certainly not an, an elimination. Um, wasn't eighty eight, eighty nine? Uh, they lost to Syracuse, sixty three, sixty one, March eighteenth, nineteen ninety. So there's that. He did play against Seymour. Well, I'm glad we settled that. That was really good work, Polly. Thank you. He uh, he put up 30 points. It's pretty, yeah, he's good. He can play. That, that was pretty good. Uh, SU's leading scorer was one Derek Coleman with 19 points. Billy Owens, 16. Stevie Thompson, 14. Michael Edwards, 5. And Anthony, How good were those teams? Just loaded. Anthony Scott. Yeah, Tony Scott. Tony Scott, 9 points in that game. Leron Ellis played. Great, great story, sir. Sorry, yeah, to good. Just, sorry to ruin your show. Yeah, t- tell it again. <laughs> I uh, knew that I remembered that. You John knew, Crotty was on that team. Yeah. Longtime radio analyst, the Miami Heat. That's crazy. Stiff put up 30, Crotty put up Yeah, 10. 1990 was the team that yeah, made it all the way to uh, the Elite Eight and yeah, lost to Minnesota. And Willie Burton. Yeah, now you got me looking up these box scores. Um, yeah, those are good teams, man. Yeah, they lost to some really good teams. Well, absolutely. Well, that's when there was a lot of pros that stuck around. I mean, you look at this. Well, I mean, Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, Stephen Thompson are pros. You know, Stevie didn't play uh, in the NBA, but the Laron other t- Ellis was two guys. Pro. Yeah, Laron Ellis, um, longtime pro. Yeah, you, that Minnesota team was was really good too, as you say. Willie Burton, Richard Coffey, remember those names? Mm-hmm. But that was the year after. I mean, eighty nine was the uh, the game losing to Illinois, which at was the end a of the season. Team. Yeah, on Easter Sunday, if Marcus I Liberty, Kendra Gill, yep, battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a loaded team. Nick Anderson, the good old days. Yes, and. Uh, those are ones we reminisce with Matt Rowe. The Oranges lineup: Coleman, Thompson, Douglas, Owens, Rowe in that game. Man, pros on the floor all around. Okay, back tomorrow with Mike Waters. We'll get into uh, certainly the old Dominion game and all of that good stuff, but uh, really we'll hit on uh, Mike's work this week, uh, crystallizing something we've talked about, that Tyus Battle is right up there, at the, if not the very top, near the top of the list of all-time clutch shooters in uh, Syracuse basketball history, The one of the best big-shot makers that there's ever been here we'll talk to him about that tomorrow at 2 15 until then everybody so long brent axe at four today on espn radio